Outlook, Building for the Future, Climate Change and the Built Environment. You're listening to Outlook, one of the commercial construction and international arbitration podcast series brought to you by the members of 39 Essex Chambers. Hello, everybody. I'm Ruth Keating, a barrister at 39 Essex Chambers, and I'm joined today by Camilla Terhar, also a barrister at 39 Essex Chambers, and Stephen Hodder, MBE. On the 1st of May 2019, the UK Parliament declared an environment and climate change emergency. In the following month, the Climate Change Act was amended to commit the UK government to a net zero emissions target by 2050 and to coordinate the efforts of the professional institutes in the built environments in meeting these targets. Stephen Hodder, as chairman at that time of the Construction Industry Council, established the CIC Climate Change Committee. So Stephen is perfectly placed to discuss today's podcast, which is Building for the Future. Thank you, Stephen. Yes, hi, Ruth. Hi, Camilla. Good morning, Stephen. So starting off with quite a huge question. Why should the construction industry care about climate change and carbon zero? Well, the industry has been quite static on this issue for some time. And when you actually look at the inroads that have been made in other industries, for example, the motor industry, we really are quite behind. And yet, in construction, they account for almost 40% of energy-related carbon dioxide emissions whilst having significant impact on natural habitats. And when you think about the sixth carbon budget, which really commits the industry to delivering net zero on new buildings by 2025, well, firstly, there's no time to lose, but you realise that we really need to care about climate change. Hodder and Partners has received many major awards for architecture, and amongst them, Incredibly impressively, Hodder and Associates received the inaugural Reba Sterling Prize for architecture for the Centenary Building at the University of Salford. At that time, do you think people considered the environment and carbon when they were designing buildings? The Centenary Building was delivered, well, it won the Sterling Prize in 1996. And in fact, the first COP, if you recall, was actually the previous year. So I think that the issue of climate change and carbon Whilst there was awareness, I don't think there was the same urgency as there is now. I think our concerns with that building were really about environmental systems, energy conservation and well-being within that building. So it was naturally ventilated, solar shading on the exterior of the building to mitigate solar gain. So the drivers for that design were, as I said, very much about energy conservation. The whole issue of climate change, of course, has accelerated since, but I don't believe there was the same urgency. And as you said in your introduction, really it was only in 2019 that the government declared an emergency. There was an awareness, but certainly there wasn't the same urgency as there is now. I mean, it's interesting the timeline you're drawing out there between the first COP and the design of that building. And of course, since then, we've had so many COPs. And as you say, the statement made in 2019. Do you think there's an increasing acknowledgement across the construction industry that carbon is important, both in the design of the building and the construction, of course, of the building as well? Well, inevitably, yes. I think it's unfortunate that we've got to a state of emergency before we act. And of course, I think if you look at the Construction Leadership Council and their Construct Zero program, which embraces transport buildings and construction activity as well, yes, there is an increasing acknowledgement. As always, we need to do more. I don't think the acknowledgement is as widespread as it should be, but it's certainly gathering pace. And that's not just within among professionals, but amongst contractors as well. I think where probably we need to do a lot more work is communicating this to clients and uh, who initiate projects in the first instance. And that needs to be 
very much on their agenda. It's one thing for the industry to be concerned about this issue and driving change, but all projects start with the client and the client has to set that agenda from the outset. For those who, where you do see the increasing acknowledgement, what do you see as the drivers behind that acknowledgement? Where is it coming from? I think that what we're increasingly seeing, and in my practice, we have one very large project opposite the town hall in Manchester. In that instance, the driver is by the funding agency, which I think is really quite interesting. If you look back at when funding institutions and banks were concerned about BRIAM, now it's very much on climate change and the drive for delivering net zero buildings is really demanding by funding institutions, which I think is quite encouraging. Of course, they're not the primary driver. As I said, I wish... I mean, this is a generalisation. I think there are many clients out there who recognise that and it is high on their agenda. I don't think it's as widespread as it should be, as I said earlier. And thereafter, I do think, optimistically, it's the industry that is driving change and really taking the initiative here. But I think it is really quite interesting that large-scale tenants are beginning to demand that their buildings are, if not achieving net zero, or at least approaching it. So it's coming from the funders and from the tenants. So there are drivers from different directions. Very much, yeah, yeah. But I think it's gathering pace and we're not there yet, but certainly key tenants and funding institutions are. And also you're finding as well within, rather encouragingly, local authorities as well. Now with all planning applications, we, again, as a practice, we work nationally and consistently at the planning stage, we're, we're being asked by local authorities to demonstrate how a particular development is contributing towards their aims to achieve net zero. And again, I think there's a lot more that local authorities could be doing there, but certainly local planning authorities are also driving change. In terms of that practical on the ground work, in June 2021, the CIC published Carbon Zero, the Professional Institution's Climate Action Plan. Can you tell us a bit, Stephen, what that plan means in practice for the industry? When I became chair of the Construction Industry Council, of which there are 35 professional institutions that that are members, I was quite conscious that some institutions were far more advanced in their thinking than others. And yet, really, in terms of addressing the issue of climate change, it's such a huge subject that the way forward, as far as the institution was concerned, was to collaborate. And in fact, that's really the, the CIC, the Commission Industry Council, is a vehicle for that collaboration. And remarkably, we, amongst the professional institutions, we managed to publish a common statement, which was an achievement in itself. But going on from there, rather than just simply talk around the subject matter, I really felt quite strongly that we need to act and we needed to upskill professionals that are working within the industry. There is a think tank called The Edge and they'd begun to think about an action plan. And so the CIC, we adopted that action plan. And there are 10 work streams within that action plan, which embrace 72 deliverables. Some of those actions are, well, the action plan is now, we've now been working and delivering on the action plan for just over 18 months. There are some quick wins in there, but inevitably some of them are long-term. But each of the 10 work streams, key institutions are leading on their work streams, bringing their expertise to a particular area. And on the one hand, the action plan has been an opportunity to pool all the expertise and the knowledge that exists and all the work that's going on out there. We're probably looking at about a five-year life for the action plan. The intention is by the end of that is to have upskilled 
every professional that is working within the industry. The Construction Industry Council's website, we've just recently published our annual progress on that, and listeners can look at the website, understand more about the action plan, understand the detail of each work stream, but more particularly, understand just exactly what we are doing and what we've achieved to date. You've mentioned upskilling. What sort of upskilling is needed? I think that, as I said earlier, the different respective institutions are working at different speeds. Some of the institutions are far more advanced in their thinking than others. There are 40 signatories to the action plan. I think one of the problems is that there's a huge fog of information out there. And in terms of thinking about what does net zero mean? What does a net zero building look like? There's a really issue in in terms of where does one go to understand the meaning of that and understand what is necessary to deliver a net zero building. Workstream one of the action plan, which is very much about education, what we're attempting to do is to deliver a common continuing professional development program across all professionals. Workstream one launches a toolkit in the spring. The climate framework is already there, which is a free CPD program. And again, you can access that by going onto the CIC's website, that is just really a self-learning program for professionals working in the industry to understand what they need to learn in order to deliver net zero buildings. And you've covered this a little bit already, but I'd love to hear what the biggest issues you see on the ground of reducing carbon in the construction industry. I have touched it because I think one of the conundrums is that there is so much talk and so much information out there that it's very difficult sometimes to know exactly where one goes. But I think the biggest issue is the lack of a regulatory framework. There is a program to, and a proposal to establish a part Z of the building regulations. And again, the CIC is a part to that, as indeed there are many people from within the industry supporting that notion. It was presented to the government last year, but it doesn't have traction. All the work that is being done out there in the industry to deliver on climate change is volunteer work. And I think that until it's captured within the regulations, I think there's always going to be a challenge. And I think that is, the, for me, the single biggest move that we could make in terms of unblocking an approach to net zero, to capture it within the regulatory framework. You've rightly said that there's a lot of information out there when it comes to net zero and climate change. And that can mean it's difficult for people to know where to look. From your perspective and to finish, do you have three top tips that you would give to those in the industry who are trying to reduce carbon, both in their design and in their construction? The one which I've touched upon already and what the CIC's website seeks to do is to be a one-stop shop. And not only in terms of looking at what the action plan is seeking to deliver and is indeed delivering, but it signposts to other areas of information. And I think that, that when we set out in rewriting the website, that was one of its biggest aims, to be a single point that people can go to to understand what is a huge subject matter. The next thing I think that all professionals working in the building industry have a responsibility is to, and as I said earlier, there are many clients out there that really understand it and they get it, but equally there are many clients out there that don't. And I think that we have a responsibility at the inception of a project to really try and impress upon those people who commission buildings the imperatives of climate change. And then the third one really is that what the industry is not good at is when a building is completed, the whole concept of post-occupancy evaluation is gathering pace, but it's not there. And so it's one thing to 
conceive a building that has the ambitions to be net zero. But whether or not it's actually performing in that way is an entirely different matter. And again, that probably brings me in full circle to those who commission buildings because inevitably monitoring of the performance of a building in that costs money. And clients need to be urged and persuaded that in the end, in the long run, that will actually benefit them in terms of the performance of a building and the people and the benefit of those people who use the building. I've tried to capture what is an enormous subject in three tips. So those are the three that I would suggest listeners think about. Thanks, Stephen. That's brilliant. And thank you for bringing your expertise to the fore for an impossible question, like three tips for such a huge area. But that's brilliant. I think it's going to be hugely useful for all our listeners. And thanks for that interesting conversation. I think it shows how far the industry has come, but it also shows how far there is to go to reach net zero. So thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars.